This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself and others. Valeria Tejas interviews Michelle R. Hanna, the author of The Self-Vows, Seven Vows That Will Change Your Life. Dr. Michelle's remarkable spirit, determination, motivation, and personal experiences are the building blocks of her respect for human dignity and social change. Born and raised in Southern California, she received her undergraduate degree in psychology, her MBA, and a master's degree in teaching and learning with technology. She also holds a doctorate in spiritual counseling. Michelle is a dynamic and electrifying speaker. Audiences everywhere have expressed that they feel as if they are in a personal conversation with Michelle due to her engaging and interactive approach. It's always a challenge for her to leave because people want to have a session directly after. Dr. Michelle public speaking spans over 15 years and is the author of The Breaking Point, a full circle journey and workbook. Her book, The Vows, a workbook for marriage success and understanding yourself is ushering couples and people desiring to be married into a deeper intimacy connection, emotional healing and living authentically. Michelle has helped over 500 couples stay together and live their best life. The Self Vows, Seven Vows That Will Change Your Life is her most recent gift to the world. If you are ready to pause, lean into the process, and press reset, this book is the solution for you. Meet Michelle at michellrhanna.com. Here is the interview with Michelle R. Hanna. In your own words, who is Dr. Michelle R. Hanna? Peace. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, peace. I am a personal and business relationship coach, and that is definitely my purpose. But I'm happy to say that at this point in life, that is who I am innately is, is peace. I mean, I love that word and the understanding of what peace is. So just for clarity, what is your idea and understanding of peace? Freedom and the unapologetic truth. And that leads to um, a topic that we'll be talking in the moment, authenticity. That is something that I think has been also confused with um, being unkind, just being yourself and doing whatever you want and then um, hurting others. What is authenticity, Dr. Michelle? Talk to me about that. 
Well, the the way that I would describe it is that if you woke up in the morning and you could be anything you wanted to be, and it, it just made you smile, it made you feel good, it made you feel like home, if no one was judging, if no one was having negative things to say about you or about whatever it was that you decided to do, if you didn't have to worry about disappointing anyone, even though maybe whatever disappointed someone else made you feel good and made you happy, who would you be? And for me, that is authenticity, is that person, is if none of that was an issue, because usually... That's the issue on why we're not being who we really want to be and are born to be is because we're worried about judgment. We're worried about disappointing someone else. We're worried that we won't be good enough or maybe the ideas from our parents or our uncles or our teachers, our own ideals don't line up with that, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's what I would say would help people to find themselves on the path of authenticity. And for me, it still means freedom. I feel very free when I'm authentically just being me. It is the easiest thing to do when I'm not being true to myself or when I'm not being the true me, that's the hard part. Mm, wow. That's the stress. Yeah. It takes courage, doesn't it? To be yourself without yes. any restrictions or judgments. How did you get there? <laughs> a lot of years. <laughs> right. A lot of yes. years, a yeah. lot of work, <laughs> right. a lot of listening <laughs> um, to people that have been on that same journey or something similar to it that I listened to what got them through. And I took some nuggets, you know, that really connected. And then the one, you know, what didn't serve me, I I didn't take that in, you know, to my core. But it was really having uh, mentors along the way uh, that were literally assigned to me. That's how I really feel, that they were assigned to me. And it took a lot of courage against the ego and pride in my own self. I feel that I fed that ego. I fed that pride for many years. So I had to feed my authentic self. So then that became the dominant, that became stronger. And so then there came to a point where I couldn't really even hear the ego and there was no more pride. There wasn't that thing of, oh, I don't want to say, you know, I'm sorry first, right? And now it's like I am the first one to say, if I offended you in any way, you know, I humbly apologize if it offended you. Now, I do want to say this. I don't apologize for what is true and, um, you know, what is what is correct. Right. Um, Or whatever I've been through. I don't apologize for that because there's been a lesson in that. And it is 
uh, been a part of my healing journey. But I do realize sometimes when we tell the truth, it can be offensive to someone else because maybe they don't have the capacity to be ready to receive it. Um, It could be the tone that we say it and it we think that it's not a big deal in the way that we said it to this person. We're just saying our truth. But maybe for them, you know, maybe the tone wasn't um, in a way that felt safe to them. So I definitely can apologize for that because I always want people to feel safe and to know that my intentions are always coming from a place of love. It sounds very spiritual to me when you speak of yeah, being authentic, the practice of the journey. It really sounds spiritual. Do you connect being authentic to being spiritual? Oh, yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. I teach spiritual intimacy. There's physical intimacy, there's emotional intimacy and intellectual intimacy. And these are things that I teach to my couples. And the spiritual intimacy, I find that when individuals have that for themselves and then they show up in the relationship with that and those values and that connection, the relationship, oh, it just takes it to a different level of understanding and of respect and of listening with compassion So, yes, I absolutely connect spiritually for sure. The first thing that I do when I get up in the morning is, one, I offer myself a do-over so that I don't uh, have any unforgiveness towards myself because that's been the hardest for me is to forgive me uh, more so than it was even to forgive uh, someone else. So I do my do-over and I do something called five, five and five. And it's only five, five and five if I have a very hectic morning. Usually it's 15, 15 and 15. And so for five minutes, there is at least the prayer and meditation. For another five minutes, I write about being very intentional about my day. And for the next five minutes, it's more so me stretching and, you know, just connecting and loving me. Uh, something that I do that freaks people out a little bit when they're just not used to this type of way of thinking is that I tell my clients, start hugging yourself, Mm -hmm. start kissing yourself, start massaging your legs and your feet and your hands and just give yourself that love. And they go, wait, what do you want me to hug myself? I says, well, listen, You expect others to give you a hug or you need a hug, right, from others. How is it that we don't do that for ourselves and we live with ourselves every day, all day? Why don't I give that to me first? And that has helped me even align even more spiritually because it's a spiritual connection for me when I'm hugging myself. Sometimes I just get little little chill bumps because it's so connecting for me or me just kissing myself on my hands sometime. It's so intimate and kind Mm -hmm. of me to be kind and compassionate to myself with what I've been through. I am a 
a cancer survivor of cervical cancer, and then I have suffered from pregenital neuralgia for the last seven years. So um, there is not a day that I don't experience pain. I, I have not not experienced pain in about 20 years. And so it has been an unbelievable journey. But I tell you this is when I started to really love myself through that, that when the pain starts to the nerve, I have nerve damage. So it starts to get, you know, elevated. I talk to my, my nerves and I say, I hear you. It's okay. I get it. Maybe I'm not sitting in the right positioning, you know, just what is it that my body needs? What is my core need right now to, to calm this down? We don't have to fire off like this, you know, and it's taken me some years definitely to get at that point because when this was first happening in the first two years, I would have to take an epidural once a week, no anesthesia for 16 months. And I would say, I hate my pelvic area. I hate it. You know, I, I don't want, I don't want this pelvic anymore. I want another one. And that's what energy I would have, you know, to myself. And then I would be mean to myself and say like, you know, no one's going to want to be your friend or no one's going to want to love you like this because, you know, you have to really be um, cognizant of a lot of different things of when you just go out to dinner. If the seats are too hard, you have to make sure that you have your cushion in the car so that you could sit on the seat. And so there were all these things that I knew that actually made me insecure. It wasn't the other people, really. It was me that was projecting that. And so, yeah, so just doing those stretches in the morning and centering myself and loving myself and making sure I give myself that big hug before I do anything is, uh, for me, has been a game changer. Yeah. And it sounds like very much. I absolutely love these practices and the awareness, the reason why we are doing them and the self positive self-talk, which is a topic in your book. I'll be asking you questions about that. But before I have a question for you about which I do ask some of my guests about self-love and self-forgiving. Why is this so challenging for us to do that? I think because, um, and I say this because of my journey and just, you know, asking this question so much to so many different people, men and women. And that is that we weren't taught that, you know, I had really good parents, but they didn't, they didn't even use words like self-love and self-care. They definitely didn't use words like authenticity and vulnerability and transparency. They didn't use those type of words. You know, they were very much so ambitious and driven parents. They taught us how to physically take care of ourselves. You know, you make sure you get your showers, you brush your hair, you brush your teeth, you know, stuff like that. But they didn't really teach what self-love even, what did that even look like? What did that even feel like? And the reason why they didn't teach it is because they didn't know 
what that even was. And then their parents definitely didn't know what that was. Um, I think they were bought up in thinking that you work hard and as much if you just work, 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 then you will get the American dream. And that's what they were striving for. And so it was almost like if you took time to rest, then you were being lazy, then something was wrong with you. And I think about that, you know, now, and I go, wow, you know, that I understand my mom a lot better now than I ever did Mm. because I get what her mindset was for so many years. So my mom is 72 and she took herself out at 71. And now she is learning what authentic is. She's learning what self-love is and how she says sometimes she feels guilty for self-love. So I think that that's been a lot of the stories of, especially within my age range, I'm 48. So a lot of people within my age range and even in the millennials have that same story. So that makes sense. So self love has not become a legacy. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, not yet. But but because of people like you and people like me, we are changing the trajectory of a lot of people. Just their mindset, their direction. We're changing that by not only educating, but being that, Mm. and that's teaching people. How to have like not even just the self-love and the self-care, but I always like to say like people will say, I love myself. I said, but you don't spend any time with yourself. When you first meet somebody in a relationship, you start to like them because you spend time with them and you start Mm -hmm. to get to know them and then you fall in love with Mm -hmm. them. And then your love begins to grow in a mature way from level to level. and so. Why would you not do that to yourself? The way you say it, exactly. Yes, spending time with ourselves, right? That's creating that relationship, the intimate relationship. Exactly. Like going to dinner with yourself, walking (laughs) on the beach by yourself. Like, Mm. Like just write down all the things you like to do and do them with yourself. Like see how you feel when you're doing those things with yourself, the thoughts you're having how you're feeling, the smile that comes on your face. And you will find that there's some pretty cool things mm-hmm. about yourself that sometimes you just want to be with you. You don't even want to share that with anybody else. You just want that special time mm-hmm. with you. And you start to divorce the thoughts of running away from you and always thinking that you need to run to someone else, but run away from you. Mm. That's when that gets a little bit dangerous for us, you know. For me, it has been a challenge, uh, the um, creating those boundaries, saying no to people, my family members yes. and all. So what would you advise people like me still practicing that and those who have not yet mastered the, the art of boundaries? I think, you know, when we think of boundaries, we also think of them as, you know, something that we need to extend to others. But I think 
first giving the boundaries to ourselves Mm -hmm. and then us keeping the commitment to ourselves. So maybe the boundary to yourself, for example, is, is that to say no to something that just doesn't serve you. It it may just be that day just doesn't serve me today, regardless of how much someone tries to sell you on it and why you should do it or maybe guilt you into not saying no. Right. But you know that maybe it's not even that you have something to do because I know people will say, well, you're not doing anything. So why can't you do this? Right. But maybe that's what you should be doing is nothing. Maybe all I want to do is sit here and look at the wall. And that's what I want to do because that's just what I want to do. Maybe I want to take like a three hour bath. And that's what I want to do because that works for me. That's what I need in this moment for me to be healthy. So I think first is making those boundaries to yourself. And also when you creating boundaries for others, I think of boundaries as like non-negotiables, mm, you right. know, yeah. and that they should have a consequence, right? Yeah. So for example, there could be a boundary in communication, which so the boundary might be, you don't get to yell at me. And the consequence is, if you yell at me, I will walk away or I will shut down. And then that other person says, well, I don't want that to happen because, you know, I want to talk about it. Well, I need you to create the safe space and a respectful space. So the boundary is you don't get to yell. So when people hear the consequence and you actually make sure that those consequences are executed, people will then begin to develop respect, even if they're not used to respecting boundaries, mm, you know, right, in, the, right. in the past. Is that possible to find a balance between loving ourselves and others at the same time? Is that realistic to think that way? Yes, mm. definitely. I, I think that people should start first, Mm -hmm. with loving themselves. And the reason why I say that, or at least starting to spend time, let's take the first steps. Let's start spending time with ourselves. Let's then start liking ourselves. And like I said, it goes into the falling in love and into the more mature love. The reason why you should start doing that first is that you don't show up in other relationships fake. You then show up more closer to authenticity and then you attract more authentic people. Mm, I will tell you something um, that's kind of comical. So (laughs) when I began to really connect more to authenticity for my own life and just really falling in love with me, I was just so excited. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about a relationship. I had been, you know, divorced for some time and I just, that wasn't even on my mind. However, so for now, 17 years later, my daughter had went to college and I thought, hmm, maybe I'll start dating. I, because of who I was and what I was uh, attracting, I attracted so many like just awesome guys. 
And I was like, wow, I don't have all that Gemma that people talk about because these are just really good people. So much so that I ended up introducing one of the guys to a friend of mine because he was great. He just wasn't for me. And they got married. Wow. And they moved out of the country. They are the happiest ever. And I always joke with them and say, aren't you so glad that you did not <laughs> date me further or marry me? You know, yeah. there was a reason why you met me. You were supposed to, you know, marry my friend. Yeah. And then I did eventually end up meeting um, my now husband. But I just began to attract so many good people because I was showing up a certain type of way in my own life. And so I was projecting that out. We teach people how to treat us. And so if I don't treat me how I want to be treated, because people observe that, you know, so um, I think it's just so important that we do that. We give ourselves that gift because it is a gift. Learning how to accept that gift and to open that gift is the journey. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I have a few more warm-up questions for you. I think I have two of them. The purpose of life, what do you think the purpose of the human experience is? Why are we here? Okay, I'll answer that um, in two parts. One is, is that I believe the very reason why I exist is because of my purpose. I truly do. I believe that is the reason why I was born to fulfill my purpose. I know that I am definitely aligned with my purpose and it is being unleashed every day. And that is why I have peace. And I also think the second part of that is I truly believe that life is it really is a classroom, you know, and we are just here to learn the lessons so that we can be more loving, more at peace, more connecting. Um, But more than anything is that we we are love. And I think when we get that part and we have that experience, you just touch so many people. I mean, you can almost start like usher in the healing process just from showing up in love. So you wrote the book, The Self Vows, Seven Vows That Will Change Your Life. Two initial questions. How did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and also intention of writing this book? Oh, wow. Okay. So (laughs) how did I become a writer? Well, I was dyslexic and I really struggled a lot with, I was real creative, but I struggled a lot with writing because I actually seen words Uh, backwards. So it was very difficult. So what I would see for me, I, that's what I saw. But then my teacher who wasn't very nice at that time um, (laughs) was just pretty negative towards me. And um, I remember one day I write about this in the book and she says, well, you know, you're never going to 
do anything analytical. So don't do anything analytical. Um, I think at a little girl, I wanted to be a child psychologist or a nurse, but I knew I wanted to help people. And she said basically in so many words that I wasn't smart enough to do that. I didn't read that well. I didn't write that well. So I should concentrate on doing something more um, of just a trade you know, just going to like a trade school, not even to college or anything. And that really created my self-concept in thinking that I wasn't good enough. And I then started to believe that that's why it's so important what you speak into people's lives, specifically when they are children, because children are so impressionable. So I never thought in a million years that I would be a writer. Now, because she said that, what did I do? I wanted to prove to her every, like literally every day that I lived, I wanted to prove to her that I could do it. So that's why I went to graduate school so many times was because I think the core of me was still trying to prove it to her. So once I had went through a lot of different things in life and people kept saying, you should write a book. And I'm thinking they must be out of their minds because <laughs> Miss, you know, Miss D, she told me I can't write that well. Now, here I am, you know, well into my like late 30s at that time. And her voice was still there yeah. saying, nope, you can't do that. And so I think that once I was able to overcome the cancer. I felt empowered at that time and felt like I didn't have anything to lose. So I didn't have any help. I just wrote my first book and I just wrote it from my heart. And I remember when I turned it into the editor, they asked me, you know, did I have a ghostwriter? I didn't even know what that was at that time. And once they explained to me, I said, no, I, I just wrote this yeah. <laughs> myself. And then I said, I know it's bad, huh? And they're like, no, it's the opposite. It's really good. That's why we asked you, did you have a ghostwriter? This is your first time writing. And I couldn't believe that because I just knew it was not going to be good. So that was how I birthed, you know, my writing, you know, into the world. But Honestly, every time I write, it's a gift to me. And sometimes I don't even want to give it to the world because it's so precious. And I just want to keep it, you know, for me because it's so intimate. But then I know, you know, that I I have to release it. And I'm so glad that I do each and every time because I can see that look in people's eyes, you know, when they read the words and how good they feel and how connected they feel. So that was how my journey, you know, into writing. So, yeah, I love the way you write, too. And I absolutely love the way I've never seen this before. The love notes, <laughs> you have the uh, the questions, uh, you call them the self-vows questions throughout the book and on different topics and you have the love notes. So that really caught my attention. Yes. Yeah. What was the inspiration for that, Michelle? The love notes. I absolutely love that idea. 
Well, you know, I found that just being in this industry for almost 20 years now is that I could ask you a question, but you may perceive it differently. Doesn't make it wrong. It's just that people have different perceptions, you know, and because we all come from different environments and that plays into it as well on how we perceive things. So I felt that when you give the love note, it comes from a place of love, not criticizing your perspective, Mm. but saying, okay, the question is asked in, you know, this, this thought, you know, of whatever I'm trying to convey or that it's not a yes or no question. Because sometimes people, when they're uncomfortable with a question, they will tend to answer it yes or no, because they just don't want to, um, they don't want to go and just start digging up. They don't want to unearth. They don't want to start unpacking, you know, the layers. So the love notes gives you that direction into why I'm asking and to go a little bit deeper and to let you know that I'm here in love, you know, so um, so those that uh, the uh, clients and just people that have just read the book, they really appreciate those because it really um, gave them a little bit more of an explanation of what I was looking for. And because maybe their perspective was something completely different, doesn't make it wrong. You know, it's just that I want them to go as deep as we possibly can. Yeah, that's another thing I love. <laughs> in love, use that word. And what I think about the way you have explored that idea is because love is the antidote to fear. So it makes sense. And all yeah. everything in self, negative self-talk and judgments and all that has to do with fear. Very much connected from my perspective. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I know in the book you have tips, lots of them, tips to cure negative self-talk. You have tips for positive self-talk. But talk to me about how you're able to finally integrate or remove that negative self-talk. Well, I, I, you know, I can't say that it's totally removed because it, it does come up, you know, sometimes we don't know what our triggers are. Are until like a certain situation happens. Um, You know, maybe we've identified a lot of them, but then something comes up. We're like, "Ooh, where did that come from?" You know. (laughs) So um, I think that fear is it is at the core. I feel of most of our brokenness or pain, and. I think that um, because when we're, we we fear something, um, it's usually the unknown. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. And so we fear that or someone else has put their fear on us and then we accepted it. And so fear connects to the self-negative talk, too. At least I find with myself is when I'm you know, scared about something. I'll say, for example, what we're going through in our nation with COVID. Yeah. 
So because so many things continue to keep coming out on a daily basis, we think we know this about it. And then the next day, something else comes out. So my fear was beginning to just increase. And then when I had people around me that uh, were being hospitalized or passed away, the fear began to almost start to turn into anxiety. And I realized that my self-negative talk began to increase, you know, um, with that. And I really just, I had to really take a moment, not a moment, but more than a moment, almost four weeks to just take a step away from it all to get myself back centered because I had really let that fear um, start to just take control and control me. And that's when the self-negative stuff started, or talk started to happen. The other thing I will say is, is that our Mm self-concept, whatever our self-concept is, and then we believe it, we then start the negative self-talk if we then believe it, meaning if our self-concept is negative. So for example, if we say the self-concept is I'm not good enough, then we start to believe I'm not good enough. So now when opportunities come to us, we say, oh, I'm not even going to apply for that because I'm not good enough for that. They won't choose me. I'm not that smart. And then the the negative talk just gets more and more and more. For me, I realize that when a negative thought comes, just as for me, I have about five to 10 seconds to start infusing mm. that negativity with positivity. Right. And then it then it leads. But if I wait and I give that negativity like 10 minutes, yeah. oh boy. I, I, I then the, the rest of the day, I have to work really hard at trying to get back to a place of balance. So I think that oh, wow. negative self-talk aligns with fear and it also aligns with our self-concept and our limited beliefs as well. It's very interesting the way you're saying about the time. So if we let the negative self-talk to stay in our minds long enough, then it takes hold. And that will be more challenging to uh, yes. to change that. Interesting. Yeah. It gets into your, it just gets into your core, you know, and if it's something that you've struggled with and you don't nip it in the bud quickly, it will just begin to grow. And, and then you have a real problem on your hands because now you got to work overtime. You got to really, really just pour in the love and pour in the positivity um, so that, you know, you could get back to balance. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Uh, and I have so many other questions here that I won't be able to ask. But I love the um, some of the messages you have throughout the book. Forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself and others. I love that because it's so true. You also talk about forms of abuse that's very subtle, like self-sabotage, negative talk that we just discussed, and also self-inflicted physical abuse. 
So it's interesting how we don't um, sometimes don't pay attention to that because abuse comes in oh, in so many different forms, right? As you said, in subtle too, hidden ways. Absolutely, in sickness and in health, that is one of the vows. And I think about that because when we abuse our bodies or we don't do what is necessary for our body, because everybody's body is different, to be healthy, when we don't do that, then it is a form of abuse that we create, you know, to our own bodies. And so that is something that's very important. So when we take that vow, if you ever take that vow to someone else, you are responsible, though, to that vow to yourself first, is that you do everything that you can possibly do to bring your body into healthy. And that is very important because that's actually your responsibility. Someone else that comes into your life that loves you or that connects to you, they are your support with what you are already doing and your commitment. But your commitment is to you. So would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book before I ask you my final questions? Well, I I would like to add this is that the self-vows, seven vows that will change your life, That was such a gift to me. It almost brings me to tears because it was such a powerful gift. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. In 2020, I had to read my book twice. And I started reading my book again (laughs) in January uh, of 2021 because it is my special gift. And I'm just so happy that I have been able to share it with the world But those seven vows are so powerful. And specifically, I have a very different perspective on how I broke them down. You know, it was really, I kind of feel like taking the traditional wedding vows and turning them on its head. (laughs) (laughs) And so because uh, I definitely have a different perspective, but I really (laughs) wanted people to stop and think like, come on, if you were... If you could if you could say all these things to someone else, how is it that you can't do all these things for yourself first to love and cherish? That means that I'm cherishing me and I'm loving me and I'm going to go through all the steps that I have to go through to get there. And even all the mistakes that I'm going to make and all the lessons that I'm going to learn. And even the thing that I may have thought was the worst thing that I could have done or that I have went through, that the love that I could show me is so much stronger and greater and impactful than self-hate or self-sabotage. That kind of inspires me to think about uh, self-love wedding or marriage. Yes, you're talking about my retreat. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah, it does that where self, you know, um, we keep it intimate. So it's uh, we never really have more than eight women. And now the men said, well, so you don't have retreats for men. And I said, OK, OK, it's, it's, it's coming. OK, I'll figure it out. But so we have where we have we're actually having one in March and it's so powerful because not only do they do their self-work, but what I say 
that we pour love into whomever is there. Like, I mean, it's such a joyful thing that we do. It's so cheerful. We want to love you. We want you to 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 go through your breakthroughs and 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 do your self work. But at the um, the end of the second day, they, we do a ceremony, mm, and that right. ceremony is so powerful because they take the self-vows to themselves. So a lot of women have said, oh, I kept waiting. I kept waiting on the wedding dress or the white dress, and I kept waiting on the wedding, you know? Yeah. And instead, they trade that in for just focusing on that to the relationship with self and divorcing the fake self and marrying the authentic self. So you're absolutely right in that because that's what it really is. You're making those vows to yourself as you, that's what it's all about. And then finally marrying yourself, but not in a selfish way, right, Dr. Michelle, because sometimes that's confused too, self-love with narcissistic behaviors and all that. No, totally different. That's totally different. When you have narcissistic behavior, you don't care about someone else's feelings. You don't care that you're hurting them. It's all about you and you make everything about you. This is something very different. This is about love. So that gives you that empathy, you know, towards your sister or your brother or you know, your um, fellow human beings. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? That forgiveness of myself was the biggest mountain for me. Is um, that was the hardest thing for me to accept and to address was that I really... I held my healing hostage. I did that. No one else. I did that. And that was very difficult because it was very painful to know that I beat myself up like that. And I did go through this self-sabotage. So that was the biggest lesson is that I had a real struggle with um, forgiveness you know, to, to other people as well, too, you know, that, um, I thought that obviously, and what they did was very horrible, but I thought like, I don't want to forgive them because this makes it okay. And what they did was so not okay. And I had to realize that no, it doesn't make it okay, but it's also making me very ill by holding this in my heart And by not forgiving myself, that was the worst of it all. That was the biggest lesson. Yeah. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? (laughs) I know that I like that I fall in love with myself like every day about something else that comes up and I just... You can hear it. I get really (laughs) excited about it because I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful and so blessed that finally I know what it is to really fall in love with self and to really love me. And that's enough, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say that the second thing that I know for sure is that what we 
put out <laughs> comes right back. So if you put out negativity, it comes right back to you. So, you know, just know that when you concentrate on those things that are negative, then it's like a boomerang. So that should give you the incentive to concentrate on what is positive. And the last thing that I will say, this one has hit me very strong in the last um, year. I knew it, but I didn't know it how I know it now. And that is, is that every moment is not promised. Mm -hmm. And you should never say like, I'll do that or I'll tell that person that tomorrow or I'll forgive them, but I'm not ready to forgive them right now. I still want to be mad about it a little bit or, you know, I'm so busy and I will go see this person that keeps coming to my mind to go see them and to go check on them. I'll go see them, but I have to get, you know, do all these other things first. Wow. That has taught me just, just that having those thoughts at some point, you know, during life that the next moment is not promised. So I will say this is that now, anytime someone comes to my, my head or my heart, you know, I stop, like I might can't stop right in that second, but I'll finish what I'm doing and I will call that person, or I will text them and say, Hey, I need to talk to you today. Text me what's a good time. And I will make sure that I do not go to sleep without sharing love or just letting that person know I'm here. Is it anything that you need? Because once they are gone from meaning the physical realm, um, I don't ever want to have guilt. And I've experienced that before is guilt of I should have. Why didn't I just stop to connect with this person? And now they're not here anymore. And I think we can all learn from that right now, specifically where we are in 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 our nation, in our world. So true. Yes. I love your wisdom. Thank you, Dr. Michelle. It's profound. It's true. I love your authentic presence, too, and everything you do and um, everything else in between, actually. (laughs) Lovely to have you here today, to have this conversation. Thank you. And thank you for sharing this space with me. And I just want to let you know as well is that it's important for what you're doing for people to feel safe because they're opening their heart. And this has been such a safe space today. It's been such a um, a circle of love. And I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, you can now go to the selfvows.com. We finally have that up and running. So it's not just, you can go to my personal site, michellerhana, H-A-N-N-A-H.com. But 
everything self vows will be on the selfvows.com. So my books, um, all of my books are there. We're going to have a lot of different products. And even if you're interested in the retreats, you know, you can go there to find more information. Um, or you could just easily go to Amazon and just type in the self vows, seven vows that will change your life. And you can, uh, purchase the book. And we also, um, I don't know if it's possible. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have the link, but maybe I could send it to you. Um, I'm giving people just a free gift with that link. And then we just created, I'm so excited. We just created a self-paced self-vows program. So for people that want to do it at their own pace and they can't, you know, maybe they're not ready to work with someone one-on-one, you know, you can go through the self-vows, self pace program. And it's just, it, it really is an amazing um, gift that we have come up with. So I will get that link to you. And so you maybe you can offer that to all of your listeners that they still get a free gift, even if they don't do the self-vows, um, self-pace program. Wonderful. Yes, I'll have the link on your podcast profile. I'll talk to you off record about that. Thank you so much again, Dr. Michelle, and we'll talk soon. Yes, thank you. Bye for now. Bye now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Michelle R. Hanna and her work, please visit michellerhanna.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.